we're now on section two, what causes anxiety. There are four models of what causes anxiety. Some of these can have some overlap, some of these can seem completely different and unrelated to one another. Keep in mind as we go through these, all of these can be valid models to explain what's going on and why you're having anxiety. Listen through each one of these and see which one seems to fit your anxiety the best. The four models of anxiety are the biological model, the cognitive model, the behavioral and avoidance model, and the stuffing emotions model. The first model we'll cover is the biological model. It's also known as the fight, flight, or freeze model of anxiety. In order to understand the biological model, you have to remember that emotions are an evolutionary process to keep us alive and to be able to adapt to difficult situations. Emotions are designed to motivate adaptive behavior and to do that as quickly and effectively as possible. As mentioned previously, nature favors anxious genes. In other words, those with at least a little anxiety are more likely to be cautious and more likely to survive to pass their genes along into the next generations. In anxious reactions, there are physiological components that are designed to be a benefit to us that are experienced as the symptoms of anxiety. They serve a physiological purpose, but may be experienced as unpleasant symptoms or consequences of anxiety. There's a tiny little organ inside your brain, actually there's a small part of it in each hemisphere of the brain, called the amygdala. The amygdala is not a thinking part of the brain. It's a reactionary part of the brain. It's an alarm. It doesn't understand what's going on. It doesn't have to understand what's going on to function. That would just slow down the process. Its purpose is, among other things, to detect threats and to prepare your body to deal with those threats as rapidly and effectively as possible. The human body relies on a number of physiological processes in the autonomic nervous system, including the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, to respond adaptively to various situations, including perceived threats or dangers, in other words, anxiety. The sympathetic nervous system is the fight-flight-free system that releases energy and gets the body ready for action, while the parasympathetic nervous system returns the body to a normal state of functioning. When the sympathetic nervous system is activated by the perception of threat or danger by the amygdala, which is the emergency response system in the limbic system of the brain that we've already talked about, it's an all-or-none response. That is, when it's activated, all of its parts respond. Either all symptoms are experienced usually, or no symptoms are experienced in most cases. These reactions are mostly involuntary and include making changes to various systems throughout the body to prepare you to deal with stressful, dangerous situations and improve your chances of survival. These physiological reactions can include glandular squirting, internal organ systems, muscular systems, and sens sensory systems, and also have an effect on our emotions, thinking, and behavior. These changes help us survive by improving our ability to aggressively defend ourselves or to fight, or to run away, or flight, or to remain motionless to evade detection, or freeze. When we perceive threat or danger, our nervous system prepares us physiologically to deal with the situation. 
In the fight or flight part of the equation, the reactions can include adrenaline being released into our system. That contributes to our heart rate increasing to supply more blood to appropriate organs. Our respiratory rate increases to increase oxygenation of the blood. Sugars are dumped into the bloodstream to fuel our actions. Our pupils dilate to allow more light to enter our eyes. Hearing and other sensory organs are heightened. Piloerection, it's not what you think, it's actually goosebumps, occur to increase tactile sensitivity. Muscles increase their twitch rate to respond more quickly. The digestive system is taken offline, and we have increased sweating to keep ourselves from overheating. Now, as I read through that list, you might recognize some of those things as some common symptoms of anxiety. Keep in mind, all these symptoms are harmless. I'll say that again. All these symptoms are harmless. Because of these reactions, you may experience many physiological symptoms, including trembling, rapid or pounding heartbeat, restlessness or jumpiness, startle reactions, sensitivity to light or loud noises, tense muscles and twitchy responses, dizzy or lightheaded feelings to increased levels of blood oxygenation, feeling tired or exhausted after an anxiety episode, and constipation or diarrhea. The symptoms of anxiety result when we have adrenaline and other components released into our system to better prepare us to run away from something or to fight something that's life-threatening. The only thing is, we typically don't literally run away. We typically don't literally fight when we're anxious. So our brain dumps all these um, compounds into our body, and because we're not running, because we're not fighting, we experience the physiological sensations that go along with anxiety. Those symptoms are harmless. They don't hurt you. They don't harm you. They're not going to kill you. They're not dangerous, but they are unpleasant. The freeze part of the fight, flight, or freeze may include physical, physiological reactions that may include restriction of the diaphragm to prevent chest movement, short, choppy breathing, and restrictive of movement or feeling paralyzed. These reactions may contribute to symptoms of shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, feeling paralyzed or frozen by fear. Keep in mind, with, with all these physiological symptoms, exercise is an effective way to deal with those situations when you're anxious, as you're better able to metabolize those chemicals that are released into your system as part of the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. As a disclaimer, always consult your physician before undertaking any new exercise programs. The bottom line for the physiological symptoms and the fight, flight, or freeze is that if you actually had reason to run, if you actually had reason to fight, your body would be able to metabolize all those chemicals released into your symptom the system, and you wouldn't feel the unpleasant effects of the anxiety because you were actually using those chemicals in your system the way that they were intended to be released. Most people, when they get anxious, tend to be very passive and not do anything, so the chemicals are floating throughout your body for an extended period of time, causing some very unpleasant physiological symptoms of anxiety. Remember, all these symptoms you experience, while unpleasant, are harmless and will cause you no physical or medical harm. They're meant to be adaptive responses to the perception of threat or danger, 
but the part of your brain responsible for these reactions, the amygdala, is unable to differentiate the degree of actual threat or danger. We have the same reaction that we would if we rounded a corner on a trail and ran into a bear that we have if our boss points at us and says, I need to see you in my office. The same chemicals are released into our system. They're not harmful. They're not dangerous. It's all part of the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. Our next model for anxiety is the cognitive model of anxiety. Many people with anxiety have biases in their thinking, distortions in their thinking, that contribute to and maintain their level of anxiety. People with anxiety worry about a lot of different things. Some people with anxiety report that they worry about everything. Research indicates that their worries are similar in content to the types of worries that people without anxiety have. However, people with anxiety tend to report worrying more frequently about more topics for longer periods of time and find it more difficult to control their worries compared to people without severe anxiety disorders. When anxious, or to become anxious, people tend to make three main errors in their thinking. The first is they tend to overestimate the chance of disaster. That is, they catastrophize. They expect the worst outcome in situations. They can imagine horrible, horrible consequences, and they scare the bejeebers out of themselves with these unrealistic expectations. The second thinking error with people who are anxious is they tend to underestimate their ability to cope with the situation and find workable solutions. And finally, they tend to underestimate rescue factors in the environment and with others. Keep those three main thinking errors in mind as we go through the rest of this in the cognitive model. There are distinct thought processes that contribute to and maintain anxiety. People with anxiety pay more attention to signs of potential threat than do others. They are hypervigilant. For example, people with social anxiety notice unhappy or critical facial expressions on other people more than they notice neutral facial expressions, and may interpret neutral facial expressions as negative facial expressions. By noticing these critical expressions, they may overestimate the degree of threat, that is, rejection by another person, making it seem as though there's much more to worry about than there really is. People with anxiety also have a tendency to interpret vague or ambiguous situations as dangerous, even when there's not enough information to support that conclusion. In other words, if the phone rang at 3 in the morning, they're much more likely to assume that something bad had happened, somebody died, rather than a wrong number, compared to people without anxiety disorders. People with anxiety also expect negative outcomes in situations compared to others. For example, people with anxiety will estimate the likelihood of a car accident involving their loved ones as much more likely than people without anxiety. All of these thought processes and biases and thinking contribute to the worry and rumination and anxiety disorders, just as they do in many other situations, including depression and other mood disorders. Worry is reinforced because sometimes people believe that worry is helpful to them. Some people believe that worry helps them prepare for things, like worrying about a test that will make them more likely to study or to prevent bad things from happening. If they worry about their medical conditions, it's less likely to get worse. That is, if they worry about it, 
and the feared catastrophe does not occur, they may conclude that the worry prevented the catastrophe instead of their fears being unrealistic to begin with. However, worry does not prevent bad things from happening or increase preparedness. Quite the opposite. Worry may impair a person's ability to problem-solve and take adaptive action that may help the situation in real life. Another factor associated with worry is the intolerance of uncertainty. People with chronic anxiety have difficulty tolerating not knowing what will happen in the future. As a consequence, they may worry in an attempt to predict the future and gain some control, which, of course, does nothing to improve or gain control over the actual outcome. Intolerance of uncertainty is a significant component of generalized anxiety disorder. Finally, some people with chronic anxiety will worry not only about things in their life, but also about the worry itself. For example, some people fear that they're going crazy or will lose control when they're worrying excessively about things. As a result of these concerns, people may try to control or suppress their worry. However, trying to suppress or push away worry may actually make the worry more likely to return. Next is the behavioral avoidance model of anxiety. Avoidance is an integral part of anxiety. When we're uncomfortable in a situation, our natural inclination is to avoid it, to escape from it, to run away from it, to not have to deal with it. Most of the time, this is an adaptive response. As mentioned, when we're on the roof putting up Christmas lights and we get anxious near the edge of the roof, we back away. We avoid. It's a response that's designed to keep us safe. Remember, the word emotion has its roots in Latin that means to move away. That's what our emotions do, is to change behavior quickly. When we avoid something that we're extremely uncomfortable with, it can be a huge sense of relief. That relief can be very reinforcing. So reinforcing that avoidance may become our primary coping response, a learned behavior. Unfortunately, the more we avoid, the more anxious we get about the trigger. Avoidance makes anxiety worse. The more we avoid, the more anxious we become. The more we avoid, the more we train our amygdala to treat the uncomfortable, harmless situation as something that's dangerous and needs to trigger an anxiety response. This turns into a self-perpetuating cycle of anxiety, hyperarousal, and avoidance. A safety behavior is a form of avoidance. Those with panic disorder, disorder and other anxiety disorders develop safety behaviors aimed at preventing catastrophe. An example would be the ritual of not stepping on a crack to prevent breaking your mother's back, literally. You've been careful not to step on cracks, and so far your mother's back has never been broken. Or if I try not to think about it, it won't happen. Safety behaviors are negatively enforced, reinforced because they seem to provide us with a measure of safety and seem to prevent catastrophic consequences. These behaviors actually prevent disconfirmation of your belief in your own ability to tolerate or manage yourself in the feared situations. We attribute the rescue or our survival to avoidance of the feared consequences to a ritual behavior rather than our own ability to deal with problems and develop improved coping skills. We can restrict activities and engage in many rituals, cognitive or behavioral, to prevent feared consequences and rely on the ritual instead of using more adaptive ways of coping that could be more helpful in the long run. Superstitions often have safety behaviors that accompany them. People sometimes develop some very strange safety behaviors.
It's important to keep in mind that exposure is a necessary component to the treatment of all anxiety disorders. To get better, we need to stop avoiding the things that we're anxious with and confront them and stay with them to keep ourselves exposed to them until the anxiety ultimately goes away. Last is the stuffed emotions model of anxiety. Many people try to avoid certain or all emotional experiencing by stuffing their emotions. The emotional experience and display of emotions is stuffed or squelched. Anger in particular is a difficult emotion for many people to experience. Many have been taught that angry feelings are wrong, or that they shouldn't be angry with parents or family or whoever. For some people, a spray of anger has some very bad consequences and was avoided at all costs when they were growing up. The problem with stuffing our emotions and using the strategy is that we don't have an emotional bladder to contain all of our stuffed emotions. Eventually, they find a way of escaping, and that way is frequently through anxiety. Anxiety is a safer emotion to feel than anger, for instance. If you're anxious, you might ask yourself, is there anyone with whom I'm angry but I'm avoiding dealing with? Am I avoiding feeling angry for any reason? Is there something emotionally upsetting that I'm not dealing with? Am I running away from my feelings instead of addressing them? If so, it may be time to use the interpersonal effectiveness skills in DBT and start addressing those situations.